Section 26. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 3. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rood. Persecution of the Christians in Gaul, A.D. 177. By Francois P. G. Guizot. Part 1. That the persecutions of Christians under the Roman Empire should have been inaugurated by a Nero is not a subject of wonder in view of that emperor's character as depicted in history through all ages since his own. But it is difficult to understand how an emperor like Trajan, an enlightened and humane ruler, if he was powerless to prevent, could have brought himself to give countenance to a policy at once so intolerant and cruel, and in the end to prove so short-sighted. A great cause prospers by persecution. The martyr's spirit is strengthened by blows and faggots. History has well proved the truth of that saying of the Church Fathers, tersely given by St. Jerome, Est sanguis martyrium seminarium ecclesiarum, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Still more incomprehensible to modern students is the fact that Marcus Aurelius, the imperial philosopher and benevolent man, should also be stained with the infamy of the persecutions. The charges brought against him as a cruel persecutor of the Christians have given rise to much dispute among historical scholars. Among modern Christian writers of favorable disposition toward Marcus, F. W. Farrar has perhaps as clearly as any set forth the views that explain his conduct and vindicate his reputation for humanity, that he shared the profound dislike with which Christians were regarded is very probable, that he was a cold-blooded and virulent persecutor is utterly unlike his whole character. The deep calamities in which, during his whole reign, the empire was involved, caused widespread distress, and roused into peculiar fury the feelings of the provincials against men whose atheism, for such they considered it to be, had kindled the anger of the gods. Marcus, when appealed to, simply let the existing law take its course. In like manner, the purely official or legal view of human affairs often leads the most kindly and conscientious of men to pursue or acquiesce in policies against which, in different situations, their moral nature would rebel. There were many reasons which led the populace to hate Christians, whom, first of all, they regarded as being unpatriotic while among Romans it was considered the highest honor to possess the privileges of Roman citizenship, the Christians announced that they were citizens of heaven, they shrank from public office and military service. Again, 
the ancient religion of rome was an adjunct of state dignity and ceremonial it was hallowed by a thousand traditional and patriotic associations the christians regarded its rites and its popular assemblies with contempt and abhorrence the romans viewed the secret meetings of the christians with suspicion and accused them of abominable excesses and crime they were known to have representatives in every important city of gaul spain italy and asia and the more their communities grew the more the roman populace raged against them only such considerations appear to mitigate the historical judgments against aurelius for marring the splendor of his reign by persecutions the tragedies enacted in the churches of lyon and vienne as described in the following pages form one of the most melancholy records of history when christianity began to penetrate into gaul it encountered there two religions very different one from the other and infinitely more different from the christian religion these were druidism and paganism hostile one to the other but with a hostility political only and unconnected with those really religious questions that christianity was coming to raise druidism considered as a religion was a mass of confusion wherein the instinctive notions of the human race concerning the origin and destiny of the world and of mankind were mingled with the oriental dreams of metempsychosis that pretended transmigration at successive periods of immortal souls into diverse creatures this confusion was worse confounded by traditions borrowed from the mythologies of the east and the north by shadowy remnants of a symbolical worship paid to the material forces of nature and by barbaric practices such as human sacrifices in honor of the gods or of the dead people who are without the scientific development of language and the art of writing do not attain to systematic and productive religious creeds there is nothing to show that from the first appearance of the gauls in history to their struggle with victorious rome the religious influence of druidism had caused any notable progress to be made in gallic manners and civilization a general and strong but vague and incoherent belief in the immortality of the soul was its noblest characteristic but with the religious elements at the same time coarse and mystical were united two facts of importance the druids formed a veritable ecclesiastical corporation which had throughout gallic society fixed attributes special manners and customs an existence at the same time distinct and national and in the wars with rome this corporation became the most faithful representatives and the most persistent defenders of gallic independence and nationality the druids were far more a clergy than druidism was a religion but it was an organized and a patriotic clergy 
it was especially on this account that they exercised in gaul an influence which was still existent particularly in northwestern gaul at the time when christianity reached the gallic provinces of the south and centre the greco-roman paganism was at this time far more powerful than druidism in gaul and yet more lukewarm and destitute of all religious vitality it was the religion of the conquerors and of the state and was invested in that quality with real power but beyond that it had but the power derived from popular customs and superstitions as a religious creed the latin paganism was at bottom empty indifferent and inclined to tolerate all religions in the state provided only that they in their turn were indifferent at any rate toward itself and that they did not come troubling the state either by disobeying her rulers or by attacking her old deities dead and buried beneath their own still standing altars such were the two religions with which in gaul nascent christianity had to contend compared with them it was to all appearance very small and very weak but it was provided with the most efficient weapons for fighting and beating them for it had exactly the moral forces which they lacked christianity instead of being like druidism a religion exclusively national and hostile to all that was foreign proclaimed a universal religion free from all local and national partiality addressing itself to all men in the name of the same god and offering to all the same salvation it is one of the strangest and most significant facts in history that the religion most universally human most dissociated from every consideration but that of the rights and well-being of the human race in its entirety that such a religion be it repeated should have come forth from the womb of the most exclusive most rigorously and obstinately national religion that ever appeared in the world that is judaism such nevertheless was the birth of christianity and this wonderful contrast between the essence and the earthly origin of christianity was without doubt one of its most powerful attractions and most efficacious means of success against paganism christianity was armed with moral forces not a whit less great confronting mythological traditions and poetical or philosophical allegories appeared a religion truly religious concerned solely with the relations of mankind to god and with their eternal future to the pagan indifference of the roman world the christians opposed the profound conviction of their faith and not only their firmness in defending it against all powers and all dangers but also their ardent passion for propagating it without any motive but the yearning to make their fellows share in its benefits and its hopes they confronted nay they welcomed martyrdom at one time to maintain their own christianity at another to make others christians around them propagandism was for them a duty almost as imperative as fidelity 
and it was not in memory of old and obsolete mythologies but in the name of recent deeds and persons in obedience to laws proceeding from god one and universal in fulfilment and continuation of a contemporary and superhuman history that of jesus christ the son of god and son of man that the christians of the first two centuries labored to convert to their faith the whole roman world marcus aurelius was contemptuously astonished at what he called the obstinacy of the christians he knew not from what source these nameless heroes drew a strength superior to his own though he was at the same time emperor and sage it is impossible to assign with exactness the date of the first footprints and first labors of christianity in gaul it was not however from italy nor in the latin tongue and through latin writers but from the east and through the greeks that it first came and began to spread marseilles and the different greek colonies originally from asia minor and settled upon the shores of the mediterranean or along the rhone mark the route and were the places whither the first christian missionaries carried their teaching on this point the letters of the apostles and the writings of the first two generations of their disciples are clear and abiding proof in the west of the empire especially in italy the christians at their first appearance were confounded with the jews and comprehended under the same name the emperor claudius says suetonius drove from rome a d fifty two the jews who at the instigation of christus were in continual commotion after the destruction of jerusalem by titus A.D. 70, the Jews, Christian or not, dispersed throughout the empire, but the Christians were not slow to signalize themselves by their religious fervor, and to come forward everywhere under their own true name. Leon became the chief center of Christian preaching and association in Gaul as early as the first half of the second century there existed there a christian congregation regularly organized as a church and already sufficiently important to be in intimate and frequent communication with the christian churches of the east and west there is a tradition generally admitted that saint pothinus the first bishop of lyon was sent thither from the east by the bishop of smyrna saint polycarp himself a disciple of saint john one thing is certain that the christian church of lyon produced gaul's first martyrs among whom was the bishop saint pothinus it was under marcus aurelius the most philosophical and most conscientious of the emperors that there was enacted for the first time in gaul against nascent christianity that scene of tyranny and barbarity which was to be renewed so often and during so many centuries in the midst of christendom itself in the eastern provinces of the empire and in italy the christians had already been several times persecuted now with cold-blooded cruelty now with some slight hesitation and irresolution 
nero had caused them to be burned in the streets of rome accusing them of the conflagration he himself had kindled and a few months before his fall st peter and st paul had undergone martyrdom at rome domitian had persecuted and put to death christians even in his own family and though invested with the honors of the consulate righteous trajan when consulted by pliny the younger on the conduct he should adopt in bithynia toward the christians had answered it is impossible in this sort of matter to establish any certain general rule there must be no quest set on foot against them and no unsigned indictment must be accepted but if they be accused and convicted they must be punished to be punished it sufficed that they were convicted of being christians and it was trajan himself who condemned saint ignatius bishop of antioch to be brought to rome and thrown to the beasts for the simple reason that he was highly christian marcus aurelius not only by virtue of his philosophical conscientiousness but by reason of an incident in his history seemed bound to be further than any other from persecuting the christians during one of his campaigns on the Danube, A.D. 174, his army was suffering cruelly from fatigue and thirst, and at the very moment when they were on the point of engaging in a great battle against the barbarians, the rain fell in abundance, refreshed the Roman soldiers, and conduced to their victory. There was in the Roman army a legion, the twelfth, called the melatine or the thundering which bore on its roll many christian soldiers they gave thanks for the rain and the victory to the one omnipotent god who had heard their prayers while the pagans rendered like honor to jupiter the rain-giver and the thunderer the report about these christians got spread abroad and gained credit in the empire so much so that there was attributed to marcus aurelius a letter in which by reason no doubt of this incident he forbade persecution of the christians tertullian a contemporary witness speaks of this letter in perfect confidence and the christian writers of the following century did not hesitate to regard it as authentic nowadays a strict examination of its existing text does not allow such a character to be attributed to it at any rate the persecutions of the christians were not forbidden for in the year one seventy seven that is only three years after the victory of marcus aurelius over the germans there took place undoubtedly by his orders the persecution which caused at lyon the first gallic martyrdom this was the fourth or according to others the fifth great imperial persecution of the christians most tales of the martyrs were written long after the event and came to be nothing more than legends laden with details often utterly puerile or devoid of proof the martyrs of lyon in the second century wrote so to speak their own history for it was their comrades eye-witnesses of their sufferings and their virtue who gave an account of them in a long letter addressed to their friends in asia minor 
and written with passionate sympathy and pious prolixity, but bearing all the characteristics of truth. It seems desirable to submit for perusal that document which has been preserved almost entire in the ecclesiastical history of Eusebius, bishop of Caesarea in the third century, and which will exhibit better than any modern representations the state of facts and of souls in the midst of the imperial persecutions and the mighty faith devotion and courage with which the early christians faced the most cruel trials the servants of christ dwelling at vienne and Lyon in gaul to the brethren settled in asia and phrygia who have the same faith and hope of redemption that we have Peace, grace, and glory from God, the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. None can tell to you in speech, or fully set forth to you in writing, the weight of our misery, the madness and rage of the Gentiles against the saints, and all that hath been suffered by the blessed martyrs. Our enemy doth rush upon us with all the fury of his powers, and already giveth us a foretaste and the first fruits of all the license with which he doth intend to set upon us he hath omitted nothing for the training of his agents against us and he doth exercise them in a sort of preparatory work against the servants of the lord not only are we driven from the public buildings from the baths and from the forum but it is forbidden to all our people to appear publicly in any place whatsoever. The grace of God hath striven for us against the devil. At the same time that it hath sustained the weak, it hath opposed to the evil one, as it were, pillars of strength, men strong and valiant, ready to draw on themselves all his attacks. They have had to bear all manner of insult. They have deemed but a small matter, that which others find hard and terrible. And they have thought only of going to Christ, proving by their example that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be put in the balance with the glory which is to be manifested in us. They have endured in the first place all the outrages that could be heaped upon them by the multitude, outcries, blows, thefts, spoliation, stoning, imprisonment, all that the fury of the people could devise against hated enemies. Then, dragged to the forum by the military tribune and the magistrates of the city, they have been questioned before the people and cast into prison until the coming of the governor. He, from the moment our people appeared before him, committed all manner of violence against them. Then stood forth one of our brethren, Vettius Epagathus, full of love toward God and his neighbor, living a life so pure and strict that, young as he was, men held him to be the equal of the aged Zacharias. He could not bear that judgment so unjust should go forth against us, and moved with indignation, he asked leave to defend his brethren, and to prove that there was in them no kind of irreligion or impiety. 
those present at the tribunal among whom he was known and celebrated cried out against him and the governor himself enraged at so just a demand asked him no more than this question art thou a christian straightway with a loud voice he declared himself a christian and was placed among the number of the martyrs afterward the rest began to be examined and classed the first firm and well prepared made hearty and solemn confession of their faith others ill prepared and with little firmness showed that they lacked strength for such a fight about ten of them fell away which caused us incredible pain and mourning their example broke down the courage of others who not being yet in bonds though they had already had much to suffer kept close to the martyrs and withdrew not out of their sight then were we all stricken with dread for the issue of the trial not that we had great fear of the torments inflicted but because prophesying the result according to the degree of courage of the accused we feared much falling away they took day by day those of our brethren who were worthy to replace the weak so that all the best of the two churches those whose care and zeal had founded them were taken and confined they took likewise some of our slaves for the governor had ordered that they should be all summoned to attend in public and they fearing the torments they saw the saints undergo and instigated by the soldiers accused us falsely of odious deeds such as the banquet of thyestes the incest of oedipus and other crimes which must not be named or even thought of and which we cannot bring ourselves to believe that men were ever guilty of these reports having once spread among the people even those persons who had hitherto by reason perhaps of relationship shown moderation towards us burst forth into bitter indignation against our people thus was fulfilled that which had been prophesied by the lord the time cometh when whosoever shall kill you shall think that he doeth god's service since that day the holy martyrs have suffered tortures that no words can express the fury of the multitude of the governor and of the soldiers fell chiefly upon sanctus a deacon of vienne upon maturus a neophyte still but already a valiant champion of christ upon adolus also born at pergamus but who hath ever been one of the pillars of our church upon blandina lastly in whom christ hath made it appear that persons who seem vile and despised of men are just those whom god holds in the highest honour by reason of the excellent love they bear him which is manifested in their firm virtue and not in vain show all of us and even blandina's mistress here below who fought valiantly with the other martyrs feared that this poor slave so weak of body would not be in a condition to freely confess her faith but she was sustained by such vigour of soul that the executioners who from morn till eve put her to all manner of torture failed in their efforts and declared themselves beaten not knowing what further punishment to inflict 
and marvelling that she still lived with her body pierced through and through and torn piecemeal by so many tortures of which a single one should have sufficed to kill her but that blessed saint like a valiant athlete took fresh courage and strength from the confession of her faith all feeling of pain vanished and ease returned to her at the mere utterance of the words i am a christian and no evil is wrought among us as for sanctus the executioners hoped that in the midst of the tortures inflicted upon him the most atrocious which man could devise they would hear him say something unseemly or unlawful but so firmly did he resist them that without even saying his name or that of his nation or city or whether he was bond or free he only replied in the roman tongue to all questions i am a christian therein was for him his name his country his condition his whole being and never could the gentiles wrest from him another word the fury of the governor and the executioners was redoubled against him and not knowing how to torment him further they applied to his most tender members bars of red-hot iron his members burned but he, upright and immovable, persisted in his profession of faith, as if living waters from the bosom of Christ flowed over him and refreshed him. Some days after, these infidels began again to torture him, believing that if they inflicted upon his blistering wounds the same agonies, they would triumph over him, who seemed unable to bear the mere touch of their hands, and they hoped also that the sight of his torturing alive would terrify his comrades. But, contrary to general expectation, the body of Sanctus, rising suddenly up, stood erect and firm amid these repeated torments, and recovered its old appearance and the use of its members, as if, by divine grace, this second laceration of his flesh had caused healing rather than suffering. End of section 26, part 1